0: Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Eastertide, we are asking our Lord to teach us to pray. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples ask Him to teach them how to pray, and in response He gave them what is both one of the most simple and yet complete prayers. In the Didache, one of the earliest documents of the Church from the 2nd century, it simply instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Christians have devoted themselves to this prayer from our Lord ever since he first gave it. and We are going to ask him to teach us this spring through prayer. We'd love to meet you and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon.
1: Lord, uh, we, we pray that we would have a greater urgency Uh, A deeper cry for your will to be done. uh, For your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, For the reality of the kingly and perfect, uh, wise and loving rule of Jesus. God, awaken our hearts. uh, Conform our desires to you, Lord. Speak to us now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, you, you all are probably very aware and anticipating with sort of an, a very eager anticipation that this coming week is the coronation of King Charles. You all have it on your calendars, no doubt. I can see it in your faces. Um, he's been heir to the throne for 70 years. <laughs> 70 years. Um, it's a rare occurrence, a coronation. It's about as rare as Halley's Comet, actually. Um, one New York Times article that I read said that many in the United Kingdom are taking it with a take-it-or-leave-it shrug. Um, particularly this article highlighted the, the recent dysfunctions within the royal family as contributing to this shrug. In a recent poll, get this, this is kind of remarkable, 64% of adults, and this was done in Great Britain, said they had no interest in the coronation. 64%. None. Um, As you would probably imagine, in most of history, there's just no way that 64% of people living in a given area would sort of shrug off a new ruler, a new king. Um, and quite honestly, if he had the power even of a president or of a prime minister, um, the ability to really enact laws and all the rest of that, there's no way that 64% would shrug that. Uh, I mean, you know how interested we are when we get a new mayor in Harrisburg or, or, or a new governor or a new president. And an enthronement of a new king or sort of a swearing in of a new leader. Here's what it can do, right? It can either make you sort of queasy with dread or with fear or maybe elated with joy. The prospect of something new coming either for good or for ill. Um, One person that I read this week said, If you've never had to fear when a new prime minister, president, or monarch comes into power, then you've lived a life of rare privilege. It's a rare privilege to not fear in that kind of setting. And so I was thinking about movies and, um, maybe you'll remember this scene from the Godfather. Um, Michael Corleone is in this ornate, huge New York Catholic church, right up at the baptismal font, right up here where our choir loft is. Um, And he's there for his nephew's baptism. And during the baptism, he or actually some people think it was largely his dad and maybe even his brother that sort of orchestrated. But during the very baptism, the heads of these other mafia lords are murdered by Michael Corleone. Um, He's arranged this killing. And why has he done it? To say that there's a new kingpin in town. And you better fear. And you better act accordingly. So the scene is actually unbelievably intense. Um, at the beginning of this baptismal scene, you know, you're hearing all this, like, beautiful church music, this classical music going on. And the priest is saying some things in Latin that you don't really understand. He's probably explaining some baptism that everybody's like, okay. Don't know what he's talking about. Um, but as the scene unfolds, right there's all these people that are getting in place. This guy's putting on this chauffeur outfit and this other guy's like carrying this box up these stairs. And at the very point when the priest starts speaking in English and starts to ask Michael these questions, these baptismal questions, he says this, Michael, do you renounce Satan? (laughs) I do renounce him. (laughs) Do you renounce his deeds? (laughs) I do renounce them. Do you remount, renounce his pomp? Pfft, I do renounce them. It's like a baptism of blood. A new kingpin is, ta- is in town. And there's this sort of fuzziness in this scene that actually sat with me, particularly as a minister, when I'm thinking about this. This person's claiming Jesus and baptism, and yet saying, I'm the king. Live accordingly kingpin, reigning, instilling fear, demanding others bow down. And um, we all know that we have lots of reasons to ask the Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But then at the same time, I think we all have all kinds of questions. Like, what are we even talking about when we're talking about a king? And why is there all this confusion about Jesus and king and ruling us ruling and what's going on? What are we saying when we're saying on earth as it is in heaven? Okay. So my, my intent with this sermon is to hopefully put some clarity to this. And I want to do that. Y'all have heard me say this before, but it just works with three points that all start with P because I'm a Presbyterian minister named Peter. And I just have to say that again. Um, so the first one is kingdom as place, kingdom, the second one is kingdom as purpose, and then I want to say the kingdom as person, okay? First, kingdom as place. So the Bible begins, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, begins by telling us that God made humankind in his image. It says, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And then it says the very next verse, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Chapter two then tells us, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he'd formed. So he says, I want you to go all over all of it. But you're also going to have a place right here, a given place, Eden, a place that right from the very beginning reflects the dominion of God, his kingdom right there, God with them, walking in the garden with them, a place that reflects his beauty and his goodness. But out of being made in God's image, humankind, male and female, are to expand and to go into all the places, to fill it all now, in the ancient Near East, um, a king would often, not always, but often make statues of himself. And those statues would maybe be put on the borders of his land. So if you were entering in on, say, I-81 from Maryland up to Pennsylvania, you would have a statue of the king of Pennsylvania. Don't, I know we don't have a king, okay. Um, but think about it like this. It's like going to another country. You go up to Canada, and you see on their currency the queen. You see a a loon. Things that mark Canadian province. You now are in Canada. Of course, we do the same thing. We have quarters that mark states. We have a $5 bill that has Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin on the one hundred. And what's happening is you've, placed, you've gone into a new place and you're saying, oh, this is the laws under which I now exist. This is the currency here. Here's the main figures under which give guidance to how this place runs. You'd have the benefits of certain rules and the consequences of rebellion and breaking those laws. And there are Adam and Eve long ago made in the very image of God. And what they are told is fill it all. Be my statues everywhere. Extend this little picture of the kingdom of God, the domain of God, into every single place imaginable. They were to be living statues all over the face of the earth. They were to say with their lives, by their actions, by the way they cared for the trees and the rivers, their children, their neighbors, by the way they showed up to work and showed up to worship, that God is king. He alone is king. From the east and to the west and the north and the south, all of it, there's one king. I want to say this: the kingdom work, in your kingdom work, and the kingdom work of Adam and Eve long ago, and every person since, is always uh, in a given place. Um, It's in it's in your home on Penn Street. Right? It's in the school that you teach out, out in Mechanicsburg or in Edgemont. Um, It's in you with the particular relationships that God has given you to parent in the bedroom and in bathrooms and, and all of that. But the intent is always that God's kingdom, though found in the particular places, would have an extent over the whole world. That was always the intent. That God's kingdom would expand everywhere. Kingdom takes on the particularities of your place, but the kingdom place is always meant to expand to all the earth. Kingdom extent is everywhere. It's always been the case that we were to say on earth as it is in heaven. Now, okay, kingdom place everywhere. Kingdom purpose, kingdom purpose. And the main thing is all things. Kingdom place everywhere, kingdom purpose, all things. So here's what I want to do. I want to move through the story in the Old Testament a little bit with you. We began in Genesis chapter 1. But as you move through Genesis, you move through Exodus. You follow the people of Israel out from slavery in Egypt and through to the promised land. Um, What you will read almost immediately once they've entered there, primarily in the book of Judges, is that there was no king in the land. In fact, what we hear again and again in that book is this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And almost every time when that phrase is mentioned, there's actually an almost immediate reference right afterwards to some king that they're then, they lose a battle to, or they're subject to, or some other God that's deciding their fate and their world. The people of God there people of Israel doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord always influ- was influencing who they bowed down to, who they thought was the king. The two are almost always connected. The very last verse in that book ends like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was e- right in his own eyes. And you're supposed to think right there, okay, that's thinking of an earthly king. That's true. That's part of what's going on. Um, But you're really supposed to say, they've rejected the kingship of the Lord. There's no king because they've said, God, we don't want you to tell us what to do. We don't want to live for you in this particular place and expand it outward. They were to be his statues starting in the promised land and extending out to the rest of the world, but they gave themselves over to other kings, other gods. What we see in that is havoc breaks out time and time and time again. Um, You see, just as the people of God were to see that the, the place of the kingdom was to be given and yet always expanding to all places, so they were also to see that the purpose of the kingdom was to direct all of their being. They found their life, their directive from the king. The kingdom was to be in their hearts and to flow from their hearts out into their hands and their feet and all of their being. The king was to rule all places, but also all things. And they rejected this rule again and again and again. Now, um, if you're attentive, you might have noticed that we're we're in this series in in the Lord's Prayer. And and we looked at our Father in heaven. And then we looked at, hallowed be your name. And then the next two petitions are, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth. And then on earth is in heaven, it serves as a transition. But I'm putting together two petitions. Your will be done, your kingdom come. I'm doing that because... The kingdom of God in the Bible is rejected in the same way that the will of God is rejected. And it's invited in the same way that the will of God is invited. And it's celebrated in the same way that submitting to God's will is celebrated. God tells Israel in the book of Leviticus, and he tells you and I again in 1 Peter, the New Testament church, be holy for I am holy. Um, Which is to say, be my statues Throughout all the world, what he's saying is have my purpose be yours. Have my will be your will. My desires, your desires. What that meant in the book of Leviticus is things like looking out for the immigrants and caring for the widows and the orphans and giving your body to the Lord with all of its sexual desires and its hunger Given over to God for his purposes for things like sex and food and everything. That's what we get in Leviticus. It's all the king directing it and his will being done in all of it. All things submitted to his will under his lordship. The kingdom place has an extent that is everywhere. The kingdom purpose has an intent that is all things. It is to touch on all things. A heart that's given over to God. And therefore says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. Uh, If you know the story of how Israel uh, goes from there, you know that that it, it doesn't go terribly well. Instead of submitting and desiring the will of God and his kingdom, they reject the true king, the Lord God himself, And their desires for a king like the nations. And almost as a little interlude to highlight just how bad this is. Right between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel, you have the book of Ruth. And if you read the book of Ruth, you're like, this is so lovely. Uh, Widows being cared for. The poor being left food at the edges of fields that they could glean and work and care for and create. And redemption taking place. And then in just the very next book, for the book of 1 Samuel, after Eli and Samuel and Eli's sons and all this kind of stuff, what we hear is that the rulers, the elders of Israel gather together and they gather Samuel there and they say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. We want, a, we want an earthly king. We want a king like the nations of the earth. Now he warns them what will happen. Listen to some of this, okay? This is what Samuel says. He says, talking about the king. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint them for himself, commanders, thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the 10th of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the 10th of your flocks and you shall be his slaves again and again. It's a king that takes and takes. And it becomes the great problem of Israel. Another king. A different kingdom. And what I want you to hear is it's also the problem that we find right there in Eden. We as Oedipus the king says we desire to be more than man. To rule our world for ourselves. To be the king's. Ruling. Taking from God his rightful place. we Push against God's kingdom, going to all places and ruling our hearts and our lives. And what the Bible tells us again and again is we always do this to our destruction. It is never for our good. And we keep doing it. Sin begins in the garden with the rejection of the rule of God. And it manifests this ugly Reality and its ugly effects again and again and again. And what we say again and again is, you're not the king of this world. You're not the king of my heart. You're not the king of my life. We want a different king. So it is kingdom place, right? And the extent is the entire world. It finds particularities, but its intent, extent is to all things. A kingdom purpose, and its intent is the whole heart. And the whole heart in the Bible means the whole life. Every aspect. And yet what we find in the Bible is this is rejected again and again and again. And thank God, that is why we can also say that we have to see the kingdom as a person. And that person coming in Jesus. Okay, you know, and the Bible reflects this, but you also know this is the case. That there's a pattern in the world when a ruler comes to take power. Um, They grab at it. The Jews who first heard Jesus offer this prayer and instruct them in this way, they knew that. Um, They, of course, had the stories of the scriptures. Scriptures like Ahab and uh, Jezebel. They also knew the stories of nighttime killings. Think of the wise men telling uh, Herod about the new king who was born. And what does Herod do? He says, no way. Nobody's taking my power from me. He slaughters the innocents. They would have known likely the story of Julius Caesar's stabbing at two Brute. They knew the way power unfolds. January 6th, riots, widespread slaughter of Native Americans in the name of manifest destiny, Uh, kings, presidents, ancient power struggles, modern power struggles. They knew it, just like you do. And what we hear in Jesus, what we see in Jesus, is that he comes, he comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. All over. Jesus is always proclaiming the kingdom of God. And as he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand, he calls all people to repent. Which is to say, Turn from your other allegiances. Turn from putting yourself on the throne and other things and other people on the throne. Repent. We showed what the kingdom of God was like. He said that the kingdom of God is a reign of liberation for captives, a recovery of sight for the blind. It's always a kingdom of deliverance and not domination. At one point, Luke says this, or Jesus says this of Luke. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come. It's liberation, it's freedom. It's not domination. The kingdom of God is always marked by wholeness and by healing. By Shalom, which is this all-encompassing peace of God that touches all things. It's a kingdom where you see people delivered from oppression. Where you see the forgiveness of sins. Where you see the proclamation of a new king. And and an obedience to his rule as his true disciples. We're presented with the kingdom in the Bible as a place. We are and its extent, though it's particular, it's extent expanded and it's extent is to the whole world. And we are presented in the Bible as the, as uh, we're presented the kingdom as sort of purpose, meaning our hearts are totally given over to God. And therefore our wills are totally given over to God. And our desire is for his kingdom. Uh, But more than anything, what the scriptures present the kingdom as. Is the reality of the king. Where the king is. Where Jesus is. That's what you, where you see the kingdom. And what we cry out. In the Lord's prayer. We cry out this right. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. And what we're crying out. Is that, Lord, we're not seeing this. This isn't the case. In my own life, I'm not eager to forgive. I'm eager to be bitter and hard hearted. Not eager to expand your kingdom. We cry out. We do not love our neighbors as ourselves. I don't care for our brothers and sisters. We hoard our goods. at the expense of the poor. We treat our trees and our rivers and all the rest as though they do not belong to God, the king. Treat them at the expense of the goodness of God's delighted world. We read yet once again of the shooting of a neighbor against his own neighbors down in Texas. We read the devastation of families torn apart by the war in Ukraine. And you, you all know all the ways that we cry out. Lord, please bring your kingdom to come. Please, God. We are running after so many other kings, and it is creating havoc and destruction and despair, and we long for you to rule. God, please, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're presented with a very strange difficult thing in the Bible. And that's that Jesus actually does reign. And we are also presented with this idea that he has not, does not reign fully. Jesus is the King. In fact, we're told again and again that he is seated on the throne, but in some ways we're living this in between time. You probably know that King Charles was King Charles as soon as his mother passed away as a Presbyterian in Scotland. Um, But he's, Also not king until his coronation. And what we long for is the coronation of King Jesus. For his reign to touch all things. We get a glimpse of that heavenly reign in the book of Revelations. And and what we actually see there is his kingdom touching all things. It says the kings of the earth bring their tribute to him. It's touching all things, all places, all people. It's touching the deepest places of the heart, our desires. It says there's a place of no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. The ache, Um, the constant ache of our hearts will be touched and perfectly healed by the true king. And all people are falling before him. All people are worshiping him. All beings are saying, not my will, but yours be done. They're offering themselves as living sacrifices, a heart transformed and a life transformed before the king. That's the glimpse that we have of the heavenly kingdom in the book of Revelation. And our desire now is Lord, make it happen. Lord, make it happen. We look around. We just see the havoc of living for ourselves and living for other kingdoms. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We live in the reality of D-Day with the hope of V-E-Day. You know, the Allied Forces there in World War II landing and securing that foothold in France and Normandy that is well celebrated. And yet, the real thing didn't happen until the Nazis actually surrendered. And what we are crying out or would all things be surrendered to you, King? Would you rule, brothers and sisters? Christ's reign, uh, his, which is perfect and lovely and beautiful, His reign is secured by the cross and resurrection. He has ascended. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge living and the dead. He is the King eternal. He is seated at the throne. But we cry. Your will be done. We pray. Your kingdom come. We long for. Earth and heaven. To be wed again. And Jesus says. I'm coming. I'm coming. This prayer. Is not some. Wishful thinking. Jesus says. My will will be done. My kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us. Lord. Oh, how we like to put other things on the throne. Like Adam and Eve long ago saying. We should be the king. Like the people of Israel again and again and again saying. We don't want you on the throne, Lord. God, I pray that we would see the beauty of King Jesus, One who's always coming and bringing deliverance, not domination. The King who comes and doesn't kill but brings life. The King who comes and gives of Himself. Instead of this king that we see in 1 Samuel who takes and takes and takes and takes. God, would we see the beauty of your kingdom? Would we cry out, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then, Lord, would we first see that we are to be your willing subjects. Your joyful subjects. Your subjects that find that in submitting to your will and your lordship, there is life. You've said there's not one square inch of this world that is not mine. And may we gladly give it all to you. God, and then may the particularities of our place and of our homes and of our hearts and of our workplaces, and our relationships, expand. May the knowledge of the Lord, the King, expand over all of the earth like the waters cover the seas, declaring who is the true King. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.